In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. One of the scenes that we read and reflect on during this Easter season is Jesus' famous encounter with St. Thomas. We all know St. Thomas by his nickname, the Doubting Thomas. And that name, of course, comes from his initial reaction to hearing from the other apostles that they had seen Jesus resurrected. And to say that Thomas doubted them is really to put it mildly. We read in the Gospel of John. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And that rather expressive and graphic answer of Thomas to the news of Jesus' resurrection from the other disciples, the other apostles, brings home to us how real the death of Jesus was. Thomas is absolutely convinced that Jesus died and that he's really dead. He has this sense that he was crucified and no one survives crucifixion. And so he says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. It also tells us that one of the things the apostles probably told Thomas about was precisely the presence of those wounds in our Lord's resurrected body. When Jesus appeared, he showed those other apostles his hands and his side as a proof, as a sign that it was really him. And now Thomas takes it to another level and says, well, unless I see them for myself and actually touch them, I won't believe that he has been resurrected. And then Jesus, of course, appears a week later to St. Thomas. And that's where we have this, this wonderful conversation between Jesus and Thomas. Where we see, we see Jesus in his patience. Right? He doesn't write Thomas off. He doesn't show any impatience with Thomas. He meets him where he's at. He meets him at his level of faith to help his faith. And our Lord does the same thing with us. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. The doors were shut. But Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. 
and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Do not doubt, but believe. This is a simple command from our Lord to St. Thomas. And yet at the same time, it's very profound. And it can help us a lot in our own relationship with God. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. What we have here is an exhortation to faith. Jesus is telling Thomas to believe, to have more faith. And this implies something very deep. It implies that it's up to Thomas as to whether he will believe or not. It implies that Thomas can freely choose to do something about his faith, about his level of faith. Thomas is free to obey Jesus' command or to continue disbelieving, to continue doubting. And that's something very important for us, too, to remember and pray about in our Lord's presence. We know that faith is a gift. We know that it's a grace. We know that it's something that comes from God. We know that we can't have it without His help. But it's also something that we have to choose. It's something we have to choose to do. Like Thomas, our Lord says to each one of us, do not doubt, but believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of treating faith as if we're only a gift. Right? Either you have it or you don't. We treat it kind of like DNA. Well, yeah, you've got the faith gene, but someone else has better faith genes. Right? And we think about the saints in this way. The saints, well, I guess they just got really lucky. Right? I wish I had their faith. I wish I had his faith or her faith. The faith of the saints. We kind of think of it, not explicitly, but kind of implicitly, as if they don't have much to do with it. Right? It's a pure gift from God. It's kind of like having genes of a certain type. And God tells us in our faith, God tells us, in our call to holiness, it's yours for the taking. It's yours for the taking. Faith, the saints. You're called to holiness. Each one of us is called to holiness. And so the faith of the saints is really ours if we want it. If we ask for it and if we choose it and if we live it. The grace is there. St. Thomas Aquinas said, about holiness, he said, the hardest thing about being a saint is wanting it. The hardest thing about being a saint is wanting it. And if we think about it, in a sense, even wanting it isn't that hard. All we have to do is want it to want it. We ask God for the grace to want it. How can we believe more? How can we respond to this exhortation, this command of our Lord addressed to us in our prayer? Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Do not doubt, but believe. And the first thing we can do, the first thing we should always do when we want something, is to ask God for it. To ask God for more faith. To ask God for the gift of faith. To ask God for the grace to believe more. 
and then to ask God to move our freedom. One of the things that God can do that no one else can do is move our freedom without violating it. He can give a push to our will and yet maintain its freedom, its relative autonomy in action. And so we can do that now. Lord, give me more faith. In the words of the man whose boy Jesus released from that demon, we can say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's another wonderful scene that can help us to pray about faith, to ask our Lord for faith. We remember the scene, it's in the Gospel of St. Mark. Jesus comes down from the mountain where he was praying and was transfigured in front of the other apostles, those three apostles who he took up with him. And when he comes down from the mountain, he finds his apostles in a kind of argument with the people from a certain town. He had left them for a while and he comes back down and there's this kind of, there's this kind of argument going on. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down and he foams and grinds his teeth. And becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put out with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. What a wonderful exchange. This man says, if you can do anything, right, if you're able, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus says, if you're able, right, what do you mean if I'm able? Of course I can do it, I'm God. All things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. And so in our prayer, we can try to hear our Lord telling us the same thing. All things are possible to those who believe. And we too, in our weak faith, it's a faith that's present. All of us have faith. Have some faith in our Lord. But we know it needs to increase. And so we tell, we tell our Lord, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, Lord, but I want to believe more. And maybe also we can... We can Imagine ourselves like those blind men that Jesus heals. He asks the blind men, he says, do you believe that I can do this? And they respond, yes, Lord. And then he heals them. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And so we can ask God for these two things. Lord, increase the grace of faith, the gift of faith, 
and then also help move my heart and my will to exercise my faith more. And how do we do that? What's a way that, practically speaking, we can exercise our faith more in practice? Well, one great thing to do is really try to do things with the intention and the consciousness of relying on God to do them, relying on God when we're doing them. This is especially helpful and important to do with things that we find very difficult or things that we're afraid of doing, but we know that they're the right thing to do. We know that we should do them. Even things that you know we might think are impossible for us. And we see when we look in the gospel, we see that Jesus asked for that kind of faith in some of his miracles. He wants people to, to try to do something impossible, beyond their power, out of trust in him, with trust in him. In the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, in chapter 3, we read about the man with the withered hand. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand, and they watched him to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So we can put ourselves in this man's shoes, and we could try to think of what was going through his head and his heart, what his emotions and thoughts were when he heard Jesus say this, stretch out your hand. You mean this hand? The one that's withered? The one that's palsied? The one that doesn't work? The one that's never worked? Yes, he means that hand. Stretch it out. So this man, because and only because he's trusting in Jesus, tries the impossible. He tries to move that hand that doesn't work, that's unmovable, that can't be stretched out, that's withered. He tries to do something that he thinks he'll never be able to do, that he's never been able to do before. And his faith in Jesus, his faith in God and our Lord, is shown precisely in this effort to do something contrary to his own judgment, contrary to his own assessment of his powers, contrary to his own assessment of the situation. Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. There's a similar scene in the Gospel of John, and and it's interesting, both of them take place on the Sabbath, and both of them cause this kind of resistance from the Pharisees and the scribes. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, St. John tells us, called in Hebrew Bethsatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. 
When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. And so we can imagine this paralytic having the, a similar reaction to the man with the withered hand. What do you mean stand up? With these legs? Can't you see that I'm a paralytic? They don't work. And yet, because of faith in our Lord, this man tries the impossible. And it happens. It works. Jesus responds to his faith. Responds to that, that faithful effort to do something that, that really can't be done without his help, can't be done with this man's own power. And so many times in our life, and every day really, this is how our Lord is telling us to trust him, how he's telling us to trust in his help. And each one of us in our, our own situation can ask ourselves, well, right now, how is our Lord telling me or asking me to stretch out my withered hand or to use my paralyzed legs? Right? Maybe instead of telling me, stretch out your hand, he's telling me, be patient with that person that you find difficult. And we respond, at first, Lord, you mean with this poor level of patience that I have now, that I've always had? And our Lord is implicitly saying, yes. Do it. I'll help you. Or perhaps instead of telling us, stand up, take up your mat and walk, our Lord is telling us in these days, be optimistic and hopeful and peaceful. And we respond in our weakness, but our sincerity. You mean in this current situation? The situation in the world in my life, which is so uncertain, so full of anxiety and hardships, and our Lord is saying, yes, do it. I'll help you. Or perhaps instead of saying, stretch out your hand or take up your mat and walk, our Lord is saying, be loving and kind and forgiving to that person. And we turn to our Lord and say, you mean with this, with this heart of mine, which is so weak and wounded and perhaps full of resentment and bitterness, And our Lord is saying, yes, with that heart. Stretch out your hand that is withered. Stretch out your heart. Use those legs that are paralyzed. Use your heart, which is small. Use your will, even though it's weak. Use your mind, which is so clouded. All things are possible for those who believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. We were considering before that this implies that faith, in a certain sense, to a certain degree, is really up to us. Thomas, St. Thomas, is free to respond by believing, and he's free to respond 
by continuing to disbelieve. And there are other scenes in the, in the Gospels which, which um, make this point. There's all sorts of scenes where our Lord gets upset with lacks of faith. Well, there's not that many, but there's enough to kind of establish a pattern. That the only thing that our Lord in the Gospel really gets upset with his own disciples for is lacks of faith, lacks of trust in him. He gets upset with the Pharisees and, and the scribes for other reasons, mostly for their self-righteousness, right? for the thinking that they save themselves or make themselves good, that they don't need God's mercy, that they don't need him. But with his disciples, it's more a matter of his being upset with them for lacks of faith, for lacks of trust in him. We see this um, in the scene where our Lord is sleeping in the boat and uh, there's this great storm, right? You remember the scene and the ship is starting to sink and the apostles wake him up. Lord, don't you care that we're drowning? Save, Lord. Cry out to him and wake him up. And the first thing our Lord says when he gets up is, Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith, right? Why'd you stop trusting me? In the um, description of Easter by St. Mark, we also notice our Lord, the only thing he criticizes the, the apostles for is for lack of trust. Mark writes about the appearance of our Lord to those 11 apostles. Later, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he upbraided them for their lack of faith. Another scene, we see the same thing, the same complaint of Jesus to his apostles is when um, Jesus warns them about uh, the leaven of the Pharisees. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgot to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They said to one another, It is because we have brought no bread. And becoming, of aware, becoming aware of it, Jesus said, You have little faith. Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many baskets you gathered? Right? And so our Lord, our Lord, in each of these scenes, is upset with his disciples, criticizes them for their lack of faith. Right? Why are you worried about not having brought bread? Right? If we really need it, I'm going to take care of you. You've witnessed miracles in which I multiply loaves and fish. Don't worry about, don't interpret things in such a worldly way. I'm not talking about bread when I talk about the leaven or the yeast of the Pharisees. I'm talking about their teaching. And so this, this, um, this tendency of our Lord to get upset with their lack of faith. We saw it before in the scene with the man and his, his boy who was possessed by the demon. He says, oh, faithless generation. And our Lord kind of shows a bit of impatience with the apostles. How long must I put up with you? Oh, faithless generation. So this tendency of our Lord 
to criticize them for their lack of faith also implies that they could have done better. That they could have believed more. They should have believed more. That it was in their power to, to, to have more faith, and yet they didn't do it. Right? Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense to, to blame them for it. We see the same thing that, um, on, on a more positive note, we see the same thing when our Lord compliments people with faith, compliments people for their faith. And this is a beautiful thing that, you know, all of us want to love God, we want to love Jesus more, we ask ourselves how. One of the things that pleases Jesus the most is trust in Him. Now, if we want to make Jesus happy with us, if we want to please Him, we should grow in faith, trust Him more. See where he's telling us to stretch out your hand, take up your mat and walk. Trust him by doing it. Because in the gospel, our Lord, most of his compliments to people are compliments based on their trust, based on their faith. We see this in the Canaanite woman who's appealing to our Lord to heal and deliver her daughter from a devil. And she keeps on pestering him, pestering the apostles. And our Lord um, puts her to the test. He kind of puts her off. He tells her that he won't help her. Because she's a Canaanite, he's come only to help the Israelites. And this woman insists. And she's humble about it and insists and says, well, our Lord says, you know, the children must be fed before the dogs or something close to that. And she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the children's table. So she knows that the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus, overflows past the children and even to those outside of the chosen people. She has such a great trust in in God's goodness, in Jesus' goodness. And so because of her persistence and because of this this, um, inability to be put off by Jesus' apparent indifference, our Lord gives her this great compliment. He says, oh woman, green is your faith. O woman, great is your faith. Compliments her trust. Her trust pleases him. The same thing with the centurion who asks our Lord to heal his servant. And um, he has that faith that Jesus doesn't have to come to his house. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant shall be healed. You don't have to come all the way to my house to heal him. I believe that you can do it from here. If you can do it close up, I believe you can do it from here too. And Jesus is impressed. Impressed with his faith. And he compliments him in front of everyone. Truly I tell you, in no one in Israel have I found such faith. Right? And so these compliments, like those um, criticisms of the apostles for their lack of faith, these compliments for faith, wouldn't make sense if the people involved had nothing to do with it, right? if they had no merit in it, if, if it weren't their responsibility. Right? If faith were just a pure gift or just a, like a genetic disposition, something that we're born with, you know, it wouldn't make any sense to, to praise people for the faith or to blame people for the lack of faith. It would be like blaming Zacchaeus for being short, right? <laughs> Woe to you, Zacchaeus, for your short stature. Or blaming the blind men for being blind, which our Lord doesn't do. 
that it wasn't for this man's sins or for the sins of his parents that he's born blind, but so that God may be glorified through him, to the glory of God. And so, Lord, help us to learn this lesson. This lesson, Lord, that we need to freely exercise our faith by asking you for it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. By making acts of faith in our prayer, perhaps acts of faith throughout the day. St. Maria recommended one that's very beautiful. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. I believe in God the Holy Spirit. I hope in God the Father. I hope in God the Son. I hope in God the Holy Spirit. I love God the Father. I love God the Son. I love God the Holy Spirit. I believe in hope and love the Blessed Trinity. Make acts of faith in our prayer, acts of faith throughout the day. That will increase our faith. And then perhaps most importantly, to live that experience of the man with the withered hand, to live and imitate that experience of the, of the paralytic at the pool, and to find ways in which Jesus is telling us in our spiritual life, in our moral life, in our work, in our family life, to find ways in which Jesus is telling us Stretch out your hand. Do that thing that seems so hard. Work in that virtue that you don't have yet. Take up your mat, mat and walk. Exercise faith, hope, and charity, even when it's difficult, when it seems like you can't. We go to Our Lady, Virgin Most Faithful. Intercede for us. Increase our faith. Help us like you to trust our Lord with everything we have. That act of Our Lady at the Annunciation is an act of great trust, great faith. St. John Paul II called it the obedience of faith. Be it done unto me according to your word. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.